15, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. I love that right out of the gate. He will cause us to hear his words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, the potter, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we welcome your Holy Spirit. Come, sir, and speak to your people. Speak to those listening by podcast, but mostly speak to my brothers and sisters in this room and to myself. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Speak in a way that we can identify. Speak in a way that we can receive. You are the master teacher, and we are your students waiting upon you today. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Isaiah 64 and 8 says, you are our father, and we are the clay. We are the work. Someone say, we are the work of your hand. No one knows what's in the mind of the potter, but he himself. When God is forming us, and the potter is forming the clay, we're not sure what he is making and others aren't as well but God has it in his mind the Bible is full of imagery God creates an image you can see that you can understand one that'll speak to your heart they say a picture paints a thousand words and all through scripture God uses images that you can remember when words fail you this metaphor of the potter's house God says to Jeremiah meet me there Come and meet me there. This potter's house is the house of Yatser, spelled Y-O-S-E-R in Hebrew. And it means to fashion, shape, or create. These words are found in the book of Isaiah, the 29th division, the 45th division, and the 64th division. The word Yatser was not new to the prophet Jeremiah. The words were seared in his mind, etched in his heart since the Lord called him. God's very first word to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 and 8 was before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and called you by name. This was God's call to Jeremiah as it is to each one of us in this room today and those listening, go back to your first call. Go back to that moment when you knew I had saved you when you knew I had called you, when my mercy overwhelmed you. This state that Israel was in, I cannot preach about this morning, but it was unbelievable. If you think our world and everything happening across the world and everything happening with COVID, Delta, et cetera, is bad, what Jeremiah was living was overwhelming bad stuff. Someone say bad stuff. The kind of stuff that everybody was saying, how can any good come out of this I'm sure you've thought that about some situations in your life. And so God calls the prophet. He calls him back to that place, that simple place where God fashioned him and said, I know you. Today I pray that the Lord will remind you of a moment when you knew he had called you called you to be his daughter, his son, that simple place to go back and remember the mercy of his first dealings in your life some of us have to go back to childhood some of us have to go back to yesterday but this is the deal God knew Jeremiah and God knew you and I or knows today we cannot speak to people what we have forgotten ourselves. what has been choked out of us you see the potter's house that God may call you to may be the car line picking up your children 
It may be the break from work. It may be the midnight hour when you're calling out to God. It may be when you're working on the car, putting clothes in the laundry. Whatever that is, God may say, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Meet me right here. There's been pivotal moments in my life. A few weeks ago, when the Lord directed me back to my sweet daddy's house that's under contract, but we still possess, and he has a swing on the back porch, and my heart was overwhelmed about just decisions I was making for ministry and other things and unsure of, of decisions I was to make. And God said to me, meet me at the potter's house. And I said, what is that house today? Go to your daddy's back porch and sit on that swing, and I will meet you there. You see, that swing is special because my daddy prayed every morning in that on that swing. We worshiped on that swing. We took care of mama with Alzheimer's on that swing. And we sang to her when her mind would fail her. We would sing her the songs that she sang to us from the time we were a baby up until her ministry that was far reaching across the world. And as I sat on that swing, I was reminded of the mercy that God has given me. This world wants to choke it out of us. You and I look like marathon runners going through obstacles. You ever seen one of those marathon runners jumping through tires, jumping over things, contemplating how do I get to the finish line? Well, I want to tell you this morning, the world wants to choke the grace out of your life. The world wants to choke the mercy out of your life. The world wants you to lose the simple fact, the simplicity of he loves me, he fashioned me, he formed me, and guess what? He is still forming you today. Someone give him praise. Come on. You are his. You didn't get to this moment by yourself, and you will not get to the next moment by yourself as well. You will not. He says, I am the potter, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you are the clay. You belong to me. You're overwhelmed. The world looks terrible. You're holding on. The potter sits at his wheel and he inspires awe and he inspires beauty for his hands are creative and they move with grace. A shapeless form sits before him like I have prepared for you today. And as an earthly potter or the potter called Abba begins to fold the clay, form the clay or form us, the clay becomes life. I'm going to tell you something this morning. Not only does the potter want to put your life back together again, but he wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you meaning. He wants to make you enduring, strong and strong and enduring. Can I get an amen, somebody? Give God a praise this morning. This shapeless mess. When we go to the potter's house, we see three things. We see the potter sitting at this table. We see the clay, which represents you and I, and we see the wheel that turns it. In fact, it's called throwing, and I can actually tap this and make this throw, which means it goes round and round. The potter in the earthly, we know what that is, but heavenly is our Abba Father. It means that He is controlling the will. Say, my God is controlling the will. He never takes his eyes off the clay. An earthly potter or a heavenly potter. Psalms 139 speaks of our heavenly potter. And he says, if you ascend into the heavens, 
I will be there. If you make your bed in hell, I will be there. I will make the darkness as light to you because my eyes will never leave you. The potter is a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of purpose. In fact, when he introduces himself in the book of Exodus, the 34th division, there's no one equal or able to introduce the most high God. So when he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock, the Lord God introduces his own self before he comes by. He says, the Lord, the Lord, who is merciful and gracious. Are you thankful he's merciful and gracious today? The Lord, the Lord, who abounds in mercy. Are you thankful he abounds in mercy? The Lord who is slow to anger and who will keep his mercy and his love to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of generations. If you and I don't trust that potter at the wheel, we're going to try to take our own life and form it. You know, God will say, I'm going to make you a bowl, Cheryl. And Cheryl says to God, I don't want to be a bowl, but if you want me to be a bowl, I'm going to be a big bowl. I'm going to be a really big bowl. And God says, no, you're going to be a little bowl. I'm just using Cheryl because she won't get mad at me. I'm going to make you a little bowl because what you're going to hold is too precious to be lost in a big bowl. We all want big signs and big things. But when we try to form our own life, imagine me today with a blindfold, a secure blindfold with tube socks on my hand, wrapped in plastic, trying to form something out of this clay. Sear that image in your mind. When you try to fashion, when I try to fashion my own life, that's what you look like. You are blind and you are without the capacity to form things. But the potter is the great I am. Yosur Yatzeh is the name in Hebrew for the potter. And he knows what he's doing. Somebody give him praise this morning. Come on now. Only the potter can transfer the thought to the clay. Just like Cheryl made a house, she knew what she was going to make and she formed it. I couldn't have guessed before she did it what she's going to do unless she told me. It's the same thing with God. The wheel is the circumstances in your life. It's the thing that turns you as the clay, as the vessel of God that we're going to get to in a moment around, and the trials. It's necessary. Someone say it is necessary, but it will pass away. Look at your neighbor and say every circumstance will pass away. I want you to remember this morning of any pressure you're facing in your life that's pushing on you as the clay. God is holding back a lot of other pressures that you can't see. His determination to take the things out of us and build character in us. The potter always applies positive pressure because without it, we would not change. We used to sing when I led worship here many years ago, change my heart, oh God, make me ever new. It goes on and it says, you are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, let it be your way. It's a beautiful song, but that's what the potter does. And sometimes we want to cast the devil out when the pressure comes. And it's not the devil. It's this world bringing the pressure. But God says, I'm going to make this clay look like what I intend for it to look. What I dreamed it would be. Every day of its life, it will come forth. And that son or that daughter will rise to take their destiny. Can you say amen? Amen. He needs the clay to remove the articles Wednesday night we talked about how Joseph's life was tested his character was tested God had great plans for him but God was removing the impurities 
You see, some people look at that and say, that's just a lump of clay. Some people look at my life and your life and say, that's just a lump of clay. The enemy says God will never be able to press his imprint into that clay. I know that clay, the enemy says. I know his weaknesses. I know her sharp tongue. I know his inconsistency. I know her relapses. That clay will never be anything. I know, says the enemy, that clay that comes from broken lineage of a lot of people who failed. You see, the enemy will fight you not over where you've been, but where you're going. I know how stubborn that clay, the enemy would say, but what the enemy forgets is the hand that is on the clay, the hand that is on the wheel, the foot that's turning it, the same hand that separated the day from night in the book of Genesis, the same hand that the psalmist said with his fingers he flung the stars into the eastern sky, the same hand that scarved the skins of an animal to cover Adam and Eve when they fail. Our God is never found without remedy. Our God is never found without a plan. And it is those hands that are molding you and I today that we can give glory to Jesus and be all that we were meant to be. Someone say hallelujah in this place. And on that note, the enemy says, yeah, I remember Adam. Sure, sure, most high, I remember Adam. I remember that day. And God says, I remember that day too. The enemy says, I remember when they fell and you came looking for them in the cool of the evening. All your plans were thwarted by my walk with them. All your plans were detoured because I came walking with your people. And since that time, the enemy still seeks to walk with God's people. But you know, God says, I remember what happened in that moment. I remember after I carved them with animal skins and covered them by the blood of an animal that would show that the blood of my son would cover them forever, the Adam's race. I remember hearing you send one of your lieutenants, Lucifer, to follow me because you heard me humming something as I walked out of the garden. And you couldn't figure out what the Most High God was so joyful about after watching you thinking you ruined my plan. And you were too scared to come and hear so you sent one of your lieutenants and the enemy says I don't want to hear that song I don't want to hear that song most high God and God says I shall remind you I myself Rhonda Davis like to believe that what God might have sung would have been out of the 33rd division of the book of Jeremiah where God says you say there shall never be heard in this place that's desolate without life without man or beast that never again will be the sound of joy some people in this room today and listening by podcast the enemy is telling you you'll never hear the sound of joy again you'll never hear the sound of the bridegroom of bride meaning life beautiful as it is never hear the voice of those who say for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever but I tell you what at that moment your lieutenant heard me say thus saith the Lord the next part of the 33rd division of Jeremiah thus saith the Lord this shall not be for I the Lord will turn the captivity of the captives and I will turn it around and I say today once again the sound of joy shall be heard in this place the sound of the bridegroom and the sound of the bride the sound of those who say praise the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever somebody praise him 
If you want to learn how to say it in Hebrew, Kitov Kileoam Kihasto. Kitov Kileoam Kihasto. I just said the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. It was in that moment that God was pointing to the checkmate at Calvary when the second Adam crushed the head of the serpent. The second Adam destroyed principalities and powers. In that moment, it was not the devil walking up to God saying, what you going to do now that your people fell? But it was all heaven pointing to the center of the dam and saying, what you going to do now? Because Jesus has overcome. Somebody get happy this morning. Somebody praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't you ever let the enemy tell you it's done. One of my favorite passages, even during this COVID, and people that say it'll never be normal. I rebuke that in the name of the Lord. I'm looking for an awakening. I'm looking for the great revival prophesied by our fathers. And for that to happen, the voice of joy will return, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, and those that say the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Somebody praise him. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Rhonda, calm down. I'm trying. The second part's a little calmer. If you've never seen me riled up, then you've missed some Wednesday nights. Maybe you feel like the clay is too hard. You are. You feel like you've been through some things. And you feel like there's some irritations. There's some difficulties. The clay gets stones in it. And from life and the potter has to mold it out I'm going to tell you something this morning there's been moments I felt I was too hard I, I was just done we talked about that Wednesday night with whatever God had called me to I was just finished or what have you as Chris Fernand said Wednesday night resign every day pick it back up the next day but here's what God says to you and I it's not his first rodeo you're not the first hardened clay he's ever dealt with you're not the first one that's ever doubted your faith or doubted what God is doing or talked about your brokenness or say, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with that. God has been the arena since the beginning of Adam and Eve. He shapes with a sensitive heart. Many years have synthesized an earthly potter, but our God has been in the very arena of the potter's house with men like David, women like Miriam, people of the Proverbs, all of those. This is no ordinary clay. And when the enemy says that's just a lump of clay, look at your neighbor and say, that is not just a lump of clay. No, it's not that because the potter can see what he's making in it. The potter's hand is on the clay. The potter never removes it. And what the potter says, you don't know what I'm making out of this daughter. You don't know what I'm making out of this son. They're looking at their pressures. They're looking at their situations that seem to be throwing them like a potter would throw a vessel. And it's going round and round. And you're like, God, I can't take it anymore. We always have to remember that God is sovereign and he controls the wheel he controls the wheel of the potter and there's a moment when God said enough is enough you better back up now and stop messing with my kids come on somebody but those circumstances those difficulties you always stay in the hand of the potter but this morning before I go into the vessels I want to tell you something we often want to take the thing out of God's hand I was at my parents house and 
we had cleaned out the shed and for some reason one morning I felt prompted to go look at that shed but it was cleaned out I don't know why I went to look in it and at the back on the bottom shelf I saw two things wrapped up and I felt of them and I thought that must be those portraits a, a Korean artist did portraits of my mom and dad and we always accused my mother of burning them um, but at any rate they were beautiful but she didn't like them because they looked Korean and she just wanted to be American that was what it was all about but at any rate they were missionaries in Korea for all. but my mom I found two beautiful prints of my mom aren't these pretty she did these herself give my mama a hand she's in heaven she did these herself this one's hanging in my kitchen now it matches my balance and I love it it's a for those listening it's a a vessel, a jar, and some fruit. This one, though, she wrote a devotional about. She has a huge book, Laminated. She's very organized of all of her talks that she gave. But she had an opportunity in the 70s to study under the great Billy Nipper that most of y'all probably don't even know. Billy Nipper was very well known in this area, an artist that you could look her up. They even used to have a Nilly Bipper show. Her name was Billy Nipper, but they reversed it. And my mom talked about when they were doing this, I don't know if you can see the grapes on this, that Billy would tell them, she would show them how to draw one grape and she said, start this way and then move this. And then she'd move them through the class. Well, my mom says in this devotional that she, she did the first grape right. She did the second one. She did a third one. They looked so pretty. She thought, well, I'm going to do me a shortcut. Anybody with me? I'm going to, I'm going to do this different, and I'm going to cluster these things. She said all of a sudden she looked down, and she created a purple blob. Anybody tracking with me? Doing it her way. She had created a purple blob, and she was distressed because this was a class with a great Billy Nipper. My mom was a skilled musician and very creative. And uh, so finally she yelled out for help, embarrassed to say, in despair. And she said, look what I did. She said, Billy Nipper didn't say a word. She took the paintbrush from my mom, the great Billy Nipper, and she began to put the blob back into beautiful grapes. And all she said was, this is the way. You see, we have a master artist who says to you and I, this is the way. If you take the paintbrush out of his hand, Christine, if you take the paintbrush out of his hand, Madison, if you say, I'm going to do it this way, I have a strong will, I'm going to make it happen this way. I don't know if you know this, but your arms are too short to box with God. Anybody box with God? He will have his way in your life. The master artist is telling us this morning, trust me with what I'm making out of your situation. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I want to talk about a couple of vessels in the potter's house. I want to begin with a vessel of mercy. Austin's going to bring those up on the screen in case you miss what I'm saying. The vessel of mercy. Romans 9 and 23 says that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be a vessel of mercy. This vessels was designed to sit, follow me, in the marketplace. You see, the potter is making vessels out of us. It was to sit in the center of the marketplace. It was easily accessible. Vessels of mercy in this room this morning are wondering, why am I stuck in this office from 8 to 5? Why am I stuck in this job? Why am I in this classroom? How does driving a forklift qualify me for Christian service? Is being whatever that blank is really important to God? Taking care of these children? You see, God may have placed you there to be a vessel of mercy. 
He's filled you this morning with living water, that you would go and pour that water out. A vessel of mercy was easily accessible. It went to the marketplace. God wants you and I to be a vessel of mercy that he chose beforehand to be that one that in people's mundane daily routine, we can refresh them with joy. We can refresh them with, you're going to get through this. You don't have to have any great theology. All you got to do is live your life that it wouldn't make sense if God wasn't real. Come on, somebody. And meet the challenge and bloom where you're planted. A vessel of mercy. Because big is not always accessible. People around you are thirsty. People are wanting someone to encourage them. And that is a vessel of mercy. I was getting ready to go to Ireland to speak um, in the late, about 2007, I think. And um, I went down to Walmart to get a little Timex fixed back in that day. You know, I wanted to be able to tell what time it was on the long flight, etc. And the woman that fixed my watch at Walmart, she said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to leave for Ireland. She goes, why are you going to Ireland? I said, oh, I'm going to speak at some conferences over there for the European nations. And, and I don't even think I said nations. She goes, she goes, man, I'm so ticked. And I remember looking at her and I said, excuse me, ma'am? She said, I'm so ticked. I'm ordained to preach, and here I'm stuck at Walmart, and there you are going to Ireland. And I just stood there and was asking, Holy Spirit, what do I say? What do I do? Do I run? This day I'd probably run. Things are a little calmer back then. But I looked at her and I said, the Spirit of the Lord is so wise. He's so awesome. I said, how many, day, how many people come through here a day to get their watches fixed? She goes, oh, you wouldn't believe it. Probably 150 people a day. And I said, how many days do you work? And she's not, she's not tracking where I'm going, so she's just letting it all out. She says, well, usually six days I work. I said, so I immediately did the math. I'm too tired. I've been up since 3.30 to tell you what that was. But I said, do you see your impact? I don't know if the whole crowd that I'm going to preach to in Ireland is going to count up to that. Do you not feel that God ordained you to be here? That you're the only light people at Walmart at the watch thing will see? Do you not encourage people with your words? Do you not bring forth the anointing here? She said, you're right, I do, I do. She said, forgive me. I forget that God has placed us. So vessels of mercy, don't forget. Right where you are, you can turn a garbage place into a garden by refreshing water. Someone give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Right after Pastor Hank and I remarried, we'd been only remarried for about, I think, I don't remember. Anyway, it was the first of 1985. Pastor Hank got very sick. We were evangelizing. We didn't own a home. We owned one car because we traveled east coast to west coast, back and forth and overseas. Just, I mean, we didn't stop every week. Every week we stopped for Christmas Day and Thanksgiving. That was it. And we'd go to one of our parents. We didn't have a house, didn't have an apartment, didn't have a trailer. We didn't have a tent. And we'd just travel. So he got real sick, and we couldn't fix it. We saw all kind of doctors here. And a good friend of ours, Sam Evans, who's in heaven, said, I think you kids need to go to City of Faith in Tulsa. And said, so no one here can figure it out. He really believed in our ministry. He paid our tickets. We flew to City of Faith. I called to make an appointment. With two, different, uh, with two different doctors or one, I can't remember. And we went into the first doctor. We drove into City of Faith. There's these big hands. And Pastor Hank and I just started crying. I mean, we were at the bottom. We didn't have any income. We didn't have any money. Um, we didn't have anything. And, and there we were. He was so sick, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so we were just crying, coming there. We go into City of Faith, and we went in the cafeteria, and I ate. And I was pushing him around a wheelchair. He was that sick. We went to the first doctor's office, and the first doctor said to us, well, I don't think there's anything here. The doctor here in Cleveland had, 
had had a suspicion it was his gallbladder, but he couldn't prove it. Back then, things were a little different. And uh, the doctor said, well, I don't know if there's really anything, but uh, there's a faith healer down the street. Y'all just need to go down there and get one of his services and get prayed for because I, you just need to go get prayed for. And I remember we were so broken. Uh, Pastor Hank didn't say much. He was so sick he could hardly speak. And I just, you know, I just tears were streaming. I said, well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And I tried to get into another doctor, but we couldn't get him to Tuesday. We couldn't stay that long. I mean, I'm just thinking, this is defeated. We came all the way out here. We flew all the way to Tulsa. And here we are, and no one is going to help us. We don't have any hope. We're at the end of our rope, and Pastor Hank's so sick, and I'm just crying. It's before we had any children, and I'm pushing through. And all of a sudden, my, uh, the, someone there in the reception said, uh, someone wants to speak to you. Well, it was a nurse in Dr. J. Michael McGee's office that we couldn't see till Tuesday. And she said, I'm just confirming your appointment for Tuesday. And I said, ma'am, we can't stay. We, we flew out here. Someone paid our way. And I said, we just got to go back home. And she could tell I was crying. She goes, are you all right? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm without hope. And I don't know what to do. But thank you for your kindness to me. And so she hung up. And just in a minute, she called back in about five minutes. And she said, Dr. McGee wants to see you and your husband right now. And she was a vessel of mercy. We went up to Dr. McGee's office. We got in there. I never will forget him. I've never seen him again on this earth. But he crawled up on the exam table with Pastor Hank. I mean, right up to him and just looked him in the eye. And he said, I don't know what's going on here. But bless God, you are not leaving here. We are going to find out what the problem is if we have to move heaven and earth. And they did. It was the gallbladder. They did take it out. And for seven weeks, we rehabilitated while Oral Roberts paid our bill at City of Faith until they got it healed. What stood out to me was Dr. Michael McGee. But what stood out more to me was the nurse who determined, I'm here to be a vessel of mercy. I'm here to use my influence. I'm here to make a phone call. I'm going to tell you don't ever belittle that God put you at Eton, that God put you at Hardwick, wherever God has put you at Whirlpool, God has placed his people strategically as ambassadors that they may bring hope to the hopeless. Someone give Jesus a hand clap of praise. The next vessel I want to talk about is the vessel of honor. The vessel of honor had two handles on it. Because it means service. I want to go through this one quickly, but it's important. Vessels of honor are only known to the people that they minister to, that they pour into. You see, sometimes we feel hidden. And I've got two more, but Chris, come set an atmosphere for me, would you, with the guitar, please, sir. The vessel of honor was only known who they pour into. Sometimes we feel hidden. Track with me, if you will. This is the most frequent used vehicle, but its influence was that it was its service. Those things that you do in secret. I'm speaking to you daughters and sons of God, vessels. The things you do for people that nobody knows. And sometimes the enemy will tell you, well, nobody knows all the good that you do in secret. God knows. And the word said he comes with his reward. Someone say his reward. When you pour into someone... You wash their feet. This vessel of honor is spoken about in 2 Timothy 2 and 21 in the Amplified. Whoever cleanses himself from that which is ennoble and separates himself will be a vessel set apart and used for honorable. Some would say honorable and noble purposes. Fit and ready for any good work. But they're not known to the nations. They're only known to the people they help. 
when I was young, pastor's wife here and I started preaching a lot. There was a group of people that I honored. I loved them. They were mature. They weren't even, didn't attend here. They had some relatives that did. But they were great people who had great influence in the kingdom of God in some really high places. No one, no one that any of you would know. But they became so distressed over me being hidden. And they would tell me, you're so hidden. You're so hidden, Pastor Ron. You're so hidden. We don't understand why God won't open these doors for you when he opens them for other people and you're just, you're hidden. And their perception of my gifts, they just kept going on and on. I think we need to be careful what we say to people because we can mess up what God is doing. And it started irritating me. And not just irritating, Brother Gerald. It started distressing me. It started making me feel small. I was just so small. Yeah, God's not opening those doors. And one day, just weeping before the Lord, only had one child then, was Courtney. She was probably about six or seven. It was just so overwhelming, and they were just relentless. We must be careful what we deem success in someone's life. Don't paint what you think is success. Let God paint what is success. And I was weeping before the Lord about it. They just say, I'm so hidden, I'm so hidden. And the Lord said, to me late one night as I prayed and cried you're not hidden to your six-year-old when she cries out in the middle of the night mommy you're not hidden to your husband when he needs a helpmate you're not hidden to the people you meet in private from satanic ritual abuse I've worked with just about everything there is almost I'm not gonna list them all women that had miscarried women that had abortions hours on the phone crying people through traumas and praying them through traumas he said, you're not hidden to any of them. They know who you are. Don't let someone else tell you, chosen, you honored vessel, that you're not doing what God calls you to do. The people that receive help from you, if they're the only ones that ever know your name, if it's your grandchildren, if it's your child, if it's your brother, if it's your sister, if it's your aunt, don't you get distracted by what goes on in social media and I want million people to the Lord today and yesterday I climbed Mount Everest and tomorrow I'm going to swim the Nile and bring up 7,000 prodigals from the depth of the belly of the well. Come on somebody. Don't let them distract you. These honorable vessels are only known to the one person they minister to. And someday when you and I stand before the Lord, those people will have known your name. Don't count success what God does not count success. Can you give him a hand clap of praise? Hang with me. We're not far from being done. The third vessel, and there's only four, and the fourth is where we end, is the chosen vessel. Oh, don't miss this. God is wanting to create in you a resonant strong one through the hard times, Bailey, through the difficult times, Monica. It's a strength and beauty, the chosen vessel, that only God knows what's inside of it because He's put it inside of it. You see, a chosen vessel is in the fire. When a clay is formed, the potter puts it in a kiln, which means the fire heats up, and he keeps heating it up to get the imperfections out. You see, a chosen vessel, the fire is hot because God knows what's going to be required of that vessel in the future. Just like Joseph, we've been studying. He knows what will be required in the future. If you, and a chosen vessel comes out, and you would think it's the best work the potter can give. And you would think when he brought the chosen vessel out, that he'd put it in a big old curio cabinet with a light shining down on it, 
with a flashing light the best that I can make. But he doesn't. He picks up a chosen vessel after it's been through a fire, a tribulation, a test, a hard time, a break. And he takes it back and he puts it on a shelf in a dark closet. Chosen vessels can think for a moment, has the potter forgot that I'm back here? Has he forgot he put me back here? I mean, I've gone through so much and I, he said, well, God will never waste your pain. God will never waste your hurt. But I've really not seen good come out of some things in my life. I'm sitting on this shelf. Here's the interesting thing. A chosen vessel, the eager buyer would never see it. The chosen vessel sat alone. It was not made available. But if today you walked into Jerusalem and you said to the potter, do you have a chosen vessel? Immediately he would look up and smile. How did you know that? Can I see your chosen vessel? And the potter would know the only one who knew where it was. He would go back and pick up the chosen vessel out of the dark closet and he would bring it up. This is one of my mom's vessel, ironically, handmade in Jerusalem. And he would bring it out. The best that I have. The best of me. You see, sometimes we wonder why our dreams have been put on the shelf. We wonder why we have suffered loss and we want to blame people. Maybe things stopped that we loved. And we wonder, does the potter remember how good it was going for me until this? Has he forgot? Has he forgotten that he's put me in this shelf? I'm supposed to be set apart. What's going on? I mean, if a vessel could talk, but I'm speaking of you and I because I've been put on the shelf before. But I'm going to tell you something. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the land of the wicked. What does that mean, Pastor Rhonda? It means I'd rather be sitting on a shelf in a closet in the house of God than sitting in a neon light in Hollywood. Somebody praise him. Come on. Somebody praise him. It's his best work. And one day he comes and he reaches in. And I'm speaking right now to some hidden dreams we all have. Just hang with me. We all have them. Things that still have not come to pass. And we think those are just on the shelf, Lord. But he's refining them. He's changing them. He's working in us. Things that cannot be worked out in the limelight, but can be put back. Pastor Billy Burke said to me one time, and I must come to a, I must come to a close. For I have not forgotten you, says the Lord, and I have not overlooked that which you have lost. Do you not know that I walked with you through every moment of that loss? Do you not know that I walked with you through every moment of that pain? And I, the Lord, have not forgotten you. Yes, your dreams may appear to be temporarily put, and you may think they will never be resurrected again. But I, the Lord, said, I am the resurrection and the life, and I know how to bring life to dead things. Trust in me, says the Lord, and let me perfect that which concerns you, and you will see 
the glory of the Lord in your day, says the Spirit of the Lord. Can you give him a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you feel sitting there on the shelf, those dreams, and you wonder when will that happen? I remind you of what we spoke Wednesday night. Until the time, Psalmist said, the word was fulfilled, God tested Joseph to make him. But as God just said, he knows how to resurrect broken dreams. This morning, if some things are on the shelf in your life, if you feel like, man, that was such a great season of my life, and I'm never going to see that kind of great. I'm never going to experience the glory like I did then. I'm never going to know this like I did then. It was just a season. It's all behind me, and here I am. Spirit of the Lord says to you, I am the Ruhal breath of God, and I breathe life into my people. Never ever, the Lord reminds us this morning, say anything glorious is done in your life. For eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man of that which the Lord can do. Somebody give him a shout of praise in this house. Hallelujah! Paul was a chosen vessel, and he penned one of Mama Linda's and I's favorite verses. I've learned through the years some of our favorite verses we have together. Keith, it's 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may not be of us, but it may be of God. So people can see that that lump of clay is moved by something greater than who it is. And then there's that moment when he says, it's time, I'll resurrect the dreams, as he just said to us, which was none of that was in my message this morning. If you never forget my mercy, Paul never forgot. The last vessel will go quickly and we're going to take communion. Please just hang with me for a moment. Jeremiah 18, we opened up and it said, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel. I remember when Maggie Woods emailed me in the height of her addiction. And I said, Maggie, your house is on fire. Jump. The Lord's going to catch you. Jump out of the house, Maggie. She said, but Pastor, I was in his hands when all this happened to me. And I said, you are still in his hand. You see, this vessel was marred. This is a broken world. Life's experiences, attacks, wrong decisions. A vessel can become cracked and damaged a vessel can become unworkable imagine this is a broken vessel i did not want to destroy it maybe next time but but in his hand it became marred broken and crushed you see you might say this one just this that's not me i'm that chosen i'm that honor i'm that other vessel i'm not broken look at me smiling at everybody Psalms 44, 21, the Lord says, Shall not God search this out? For he knows the secret places of the heart. God searches the heart in nooks and crannies and finds the pain, the hurt. What the potter did when he found a cracked vessel, he had a remedy. He would go out in the fields and there's a certain tick. You can read about this probably even online. It's a small tick called the fasuka. 
And he would take that insect and he would smash it till the blood came out of it. Back in that day, he would mix it with powder and make glue. And he would begin to feel it into the crack places of the vessel. Again, you see, some of us are in an again moment. I need you, Lord, again. I've said this often. Lord, I feel like you're unearthing me. I said it on the swing a few weeks ago. Lord, I just feel like you're unearthing things in me. And that's okay. And I love you and I trust you. Do what you have to, Lord. He says, I'm unearthing so I can mold and shape. And I can pour my glory in you. Despise not the hand of the potter as he makes it into another vessel. We don't have to have the blood of a tick called the fasuka. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath the brokenhearted, plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The cross of Calvary provided the glue for you and for me and for our brokenness. God has the position. God has the provision. He does not become fatigued with us. I remind you of what Israel said in this closing moment of this message. He said in Jeremiah 10 and 9 to God, Woe to me, my injury is incurable and I must endure it. Saying, I'll just carry this pain with me. I'll just drag it everywhere with me. It's okay, it's okay. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I'll just drag this pain. I'm good. I'll, I'll do the works of the Lord and I'll just keep dragging it. I'll keep um, adjusting and I'll keep dragging this pain. I'll just endure it for the rest of my life is what Israel said. This brokenness. But the Lord in Jeremiah 30, I love the way he comes back in power and in might and with all the resolve of the Most High God. He says, this is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. I won't disagree with you. Your injury is beyond healing, meaning it's beyond Oprah. It's beyond doctor this one and that one and this one because there is no one to plead your cause no remedy for your sore and for that moment you think God has got mad but then he says and all your allies have forgotten you your allies are everything you leaned on to make it through something and then he's props he knocks the crutches out he knocks the props out he says but I want to tell you something I will not allow you to resign to endure this pain. I, the Lord, will heal your wound. I am the Lord that heals you, says the Lord. Somebody give him praise in this house. Come on. Come on. Just give him praise. Give him praise. We're going to pray with those listening, and then we're going to instruct you about communion. The potter wants to put the brokenness back together. All these vessels, mercy at your work, honor giving to one person, chosen, being set, dreams being set on the shelf while God perfects you in the broken vessel. Every one of us have brokenness. The potter wants to put you back together again today. Give him the fragments of your broken life. Will you trust your life into the hands of the potter. You're not trusting him into my hands. You're not trusting him into the hand of a preacher. You're not trusting him into the hand of a mother or of a, some major doctor or some psychologist. You're touching or trusting your clay, your life into the potter's hand. Will you do it today? 
Let me pray with those listening, everyone in the room. Father, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Lord, we speak hope and life. Thank you, Lord, for being our potter. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us that your hands are on the clay. When the enemy says there's no good in that clay, Lord, you answer back, I know what the clay will become. Lord, for vessels of mercy listening this morning, they're in the marketplace and they're overwhelmed in their jobs. And they want to be somewhere else. God, encourage them. They are the drink of cool water to a thirsty world. To those vessels of honor, Lord, that are just privately and in secret acts of service, making that phone call, cooking that meal, texting that person, just encouraging someone. You know their name today. For that chosen vessel that feels like dreams have been put on the shelf, but they still hear that call that you're not done with them yet because you're not. Let them be encouraged. Let them be encouraged that you are the one who resurrects dead dreams. And Lord, to every broken place in us, you were wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon you. By your stripes we are healed. We receive the blood of Jesus in healing. You are the God who heals us. Jehovah Rapha is your name. Come in your power. Come in your strength. Come in this moment. Come in this hour. Heal our brokenness, most high God. Jesus Christ, let your power and your healing virtue flow to every listener. In the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Thank you for listening.